Music. Reviews. Chat. Poems. Comedy. Writing. Interviews. ELFM. It's radio for so much more. Hello, hello. And welcome to the Vandal Factory Radio Show. My name's Natalie Quatermass. Hello, I'm Henry. And together we are Vandal, Vandal Factory. Factory. We're a theatre company and radio show. And we talk about art and activism and the beautiful moments when those two worlds come in. One of the things we like to start the show off with is asking about hope and anger, those two key ingredients in both art and activism. So, Henry, how is your hope? How is your anger? I'm in a strange transitional place in my life. Mm. Got a new job. Woo! Exciting. So I'm going to, for those of you that listened to episode one, and I don't think we ever referenced it again, <laughs> but I'm the broadcasting worker here at Chapel FM Art Centre. So I'll be moving to work with an organisation called Creative Scene over in Kirklees. Creating creative scenes. Yeah. So I'm very excited for that opportunity and excited and hopeful for going forward. Um, I'm also quite I was really, ex- really excited when we make these shows because I'm really hopeful about platforming and sharing all these stories. It gives me a lot of joy to bring lots of stuff together. So on this show, we are going to talk about the actors and writers strike in America. America. Uh, we're going to hear a track by Fold, The Painful Truth, introduced by Fold. We are going to talk about Palestine and the Freedom Theatre. And then we're going to have an interview by Libra TJ from uh, Show Modest, which has just finished touring the UK. So a whole bundle of stuff. Hey, Natalie, how's your hope and anger? Okay, she said, lying through her teeth. <laughs> I've I've been um, really struggling with my mental and physical health for for many months now, and it's it it's really starting to take its toll. And I know that um, that's just where I'm at. Where where actually hope and anger are incredibly difficult to continue to reach for at times and I think that's um, the case for many people these are difficult times that we are all living through Um, and it takes energy to continue to reach for those things and that's not always energy that I've got so that's it's been difficult actually just being honest and one of the things that has been incredibly difficult is that um, Henry and I went to the funeral of a friend this week and we would like to start the show by paying tribute to her her name was Rachel and she was a beautiful soul and an amazing artist that Henry and I uh, lived with and very good friends with her dear brother Um, and it's incredibly sad that Rachel is no longer with us Um, Rachel left behind some amazing artwork and she was a true artist in in the sense that she created paintings and poetry and music from her soul. It, it never seemed to me like an inter, in, like overly thought. It felt instinctive mm. for Rachel. Um, and that can be 
she, she, so she's left this legacy of beauty behind her. Um, and a great lover of, of nature as well. Like mm. she's now buried overlooking a beautiful landscape of, of West Yorkshire that I think is yeah. like whenever I think now of, of the, the, the gorgeous outdoors of Hebden Bridge, like I will always think of Rachel and her mm. amazing artwork and her nurturing, beautiful soul. Um, for me, like uh, Rachel wasn't someone that instinctively went out and performed a lot of her music at open mics and gigs. She wasn't someone that recorded a huge amount. It wasn't someone that displayed her artwork. So I feel very privileged when I live with her to catch a glimpse of this amazing creativity. Mm. And she put so much of her delicateness into that, so much um, sort of uh, uh, woodland scenes and nature, but also like characters and elvish mystical figures like almost felt like her mind yeah. come to life doesn't it when yeah. you see it you get a real insight into who she was yeah. and her spirit um so um but with that in, having said that she didn't put herself into the world that much we're gonna now celebrate and shout her to the rafters by playing a song that she recorded which has been kindly sent over to us by uh, her brother so uh this is rachel's song red sky
just keep on floating on. Oh, up through the glitter, I'll float on a blanket sky. No more bitterness, I'll glide on the glimmer of this night. Just float on by. That was Red Sky, sung by Rachel Jarman, in her bedroom. And that was a recording that she just made for herself, which I just can't believe when you hear her voice. It just takes my breath away every single time. Um, And it, it feels like such a privilege to be able to share that with everyone. So thank you for listening. And uh There's just one other thing that occurred to me while I was listening to that, which was something that um, her brother said at her funeral, which was that something we can do in Rachel's honour is be defiantly compassionate. And that phrase has just been ringing round in my head ever since he said it. And I don't know. Help me out, Henry. I, it's, uh... I, I think for me, I'd like to build a world where a soul like Rachel that just wanted to make beautiful artwork and sing songs and travel connect the world and connect with friend. nature, you know, and just make a world where someone has wants something so simple and so beautiful and can just have it. We We talk about on this show how to make the world a better place, essentially. And Rachel was definitely someone who deserved the world to be a better place for so moving on to how we keep fighting and making the world a better place we're gonna go to another side of the world (laughs) over to america america the new world um so uh for those of you who love to learn about Trade unionism. Henry. Um, well into trade unionism, me. Um, so in America, uh, there is uh, the writer's strike. So I've prepared this uh, this little feature. Industrial Action Man. Two major American unions are on strike. The first double strike since 1960. The Writers Guild of America have been on strike since May with 15,000 members downing pens and refusing to write. These writers are increasingly hired for fewer and fewer weeks. And when you adjust for inflation, screen pay has declined 14% in the last five years. The WGA demands include an increased minimum compensation in all areas of media, increased contributions to pension and health plans, and an increase to residual which is the fee given when a film or TV show is repeated. Adam Conover is a stand-up comedian, writer and actor and he is on strike and talks about it on his YouTube channel which you should go and check out. 
So yesterday, some studio executives told the press that they were planning on waiting out the Writers Guild until October when writers will lose our apartments and homes and become homeless and then be forced to come back to the table and take a bad deal. Now, first of all, I cannot believe that they said this. They took the mask off. They told on themselves bigger than anyone I have ever seen. But also, they are dead fucking wrong because writers are in this for the long haul. We have a strike fund that we use to support other writers who are on hard times. We are raising money for crew members and other people affected by the strike. And most importantly, we know that if we do not get a fair deal, we will not have jobs to go back to. So we are not going to leave this picket line. We are going to keep withholding our labor until the companies come back to the table and make a fair deal. And they're going to do that. You know why? Because they need us. Every dollar they make begins with us. So they are not starving us out. We are starving them out. And until they come back to the table, there will be no writing. The S-A-G-A-F-T-R-A, or the SAG-AFTA, the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, also are on strike with 160,000 members. Now, the average wage of actors is $27.73 an hour. According to Shan Sharma, a actor and SAG-AFTA board member, just 12.7% of members qualify for the union's health plan. When asked on the red carpet, here's what actor Margot Robbie had to say about the strike. Finally, very quickly, there might be a strike tonight. Are you in support of uh, the strike? And then absolutely. Would you be prepared to strike as well? Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm very much in support of all the unions and I'm a part of SAG, so I would absolutely stand by that. Mark Ruffalo said they've created an empire of billionaires and believe that we are no longer of value. While they hang out in the billionaire boy summer camps laughing like fat cats, we organize a new world for workers. So while actors are on strike, they cannot do any acting, singing, dancing, performing arts, puppeteering, TV promos, trailers, voice acting, singing, narration, tours, interviews, conventions, fan expos, festivals, social media, panels, award shows, junkets, or pod- or podcast appearances. So there will be no union activists on this So we won't be having any Screen Actors Guild members on this podcast today. Jessica Steinrock is a intimacy coordinator who I follow on YouTube. And here's what she had to say about the strike. After is on strike, so where does that leave me as a content creator that talks about making spicy scenes look real on TV? I gotta say I'm really frustrated because I just had a ton of spicy scene breakdowns planned, but all that's scrapped because solidarity is more important than any individual's content. Intimacy coordinators are not a part of SAG-AFTRA or WGA, but SAG-AFTRA has made a commitment to building a pathway for intimacy coordinators to join the union in the future. The rights they're fighting for now are going to have a dramatic impact on my life for many years to come. Things might get a little weird on this page for a while. That said, I really appreciate all y'all's support for me and for the strike at large. Let me know your thoughts on what I should do. Union strong! Some of the films that have been shut down due to the strike include Deadpool 3, Venom 3, and Gladiator 2. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? No, we're not entertained. Not until we win this strike. There have been rallies in support across the pond here in the UK, and I'm going to leave you with the words of Philippa Childs, who's the head of my union, Beck 2 All my support, all my solidarity, I believe that we will win. Not, uh, not too sure about that big build-up, but it's a great pleasure to be here today to 
uh, bring solidarity from BEC2 to, to members of SAGAFRA and, and equity. And why is it important that the crew uh, also express solidarity? Well, that's because, as Linda said, this is a global industry and the, the SAGAFRA are in the vanguard of all of the struggles that we all face and that we're all fighting about. So we all know the problems, don't we, uh, uh, in terms of the industry, long hours, uh, bad terms and conditions. If you work in film and TV, you're way more likely to suffer from mental health problems. Uh, you're way more likely to be bullied and harassed. And these issues have got to be addressed. And the only way that we're going to address them is if we all address them together. We fight together, we stand together in solidarity. And we're absolutely proud to be here today to express our solidarity to our colleagues in SAGAFRA and equity. This is a fight that must be won. This is a fight that will be won and we will be standing beside you all of the way. So thank you very much. Fold are a Leeds-based band that defy musical conventions. They fuse jazz, trip-hop, hip-hop, funk to create a beautiful and heavily political sound. Here's Seth talking about their latest single, The Painful Truth. Our recent single, The Painful Truth, features the late visionary author Bell Hooks. Our intention with the track is to address the pervasive silencing of dissenting voices across the globe. In my own lifetime, I've observed steadily increasing efforts from powerful institutions to silence or vilify those who speak out against mainstream narratives, to shut or minimize spaces in which people can speak freely, and to perpetuate a culture of discomfort around speaking the truth, whether personal or political. The interview that we sampled on the track was given by Bell Hooks shortly after 9-11. She and I were both in New York at the time, and I vividly remember how quickly this raft of mechanisms kicked in that were designed to silence dissent. The public discourse became stifling. Any questioning of U.S. policy was branded unpatriotic. Since then, I've witnessed more and more mechanisms appear across the globe that increasingly polarize public debate, demonize those who stick their necks out, and obfuscate or distract from the truth. We know from past experience that without protected spaces in which the dissenting voice can be heard, we no longer have recourse to counter abuses of power on the scale of the fossil fuel industry, the food industry, the medical establishment, big pharma, etc. We also find it much harder to face the truth in ourselves, and this stunts our ability to grow as individuals. And that is why we made this piece. associated with the painful that should not be spoken. And it becomes hard to get people to value speaking freely. Dissident speech, the painful truth.
of silencing any form of speech that goes against what is perceived to be the status quo. Yes, it's time for that part of the show where I take the mic and attempt to provoke you, Henry <gasps> Raby, with my latest take. I'm ready for a July provoking. <laughs> and in today's provocation, I'm going to talk about one of the world's most beautiful places. A place with rolling hills and winding, dusty streets. Home to some of the most hospitable people and the tastiest hummus. I start with this description because many of the people listening will associate Palestine with what they see on the news. Violence, destruction and helplessness. But to deny Palestine's beauty is to deny a bird flight. And yet, as I write this, I'm reminded of Sahaya Manzo Khan's line, because if you need me to prove my humanity, I'm not the one who's not human. We should not need to explain that Palestine is full of culture and family in order to... And yet, and yet, most people listening will have seen on the news that two weeks ago, Israeli forces armed with aircraft and bulldozers and drones launched one of the most violent attacks on Janine refugee camps since 2002 invasion. 12 people were killed at least, over a hun hundreds were injured and many more were arrested. Huge parts of the camp has been bombed and destroyed. 
And the reason I'm talking about this is because in 2015, I was lucky enough to work with the Freedom Theatre, who are based in Janine Refugee Camp in the north of the West Bank. And I worked alongside a amazing, bonkers team of Palestinian artists to establish regular youth groups in the camp. Uh, youth theatre groups in you, the camp. Yeah, can you tell us a bit more about Freedom Theatre itself as a as an organisation, Natalie? Yeah, so so the Freedom Theatre, their tagline is creative resistance. So they use creativity and art, whether it's with children or with artists, through clowning, circus, theatre, comedy, anything you can think of, um, as a as a form of resistance against several layers of occupation in which they talk about mm. so you have a military occupation that's that's by israel and then there's a, a an economic um occupation that's that's by the, the palestinian authority and the sort of the the powers that be that organize the the next level down of power if mm. you like um and then there can be cultural and religious occupation that come from conservatism and you know when people don't have a lot of control in their lives they can cling on to things that they can control so that might be what a woman wears or how you behave on the street Mm -hmm. or those sort of so you tend to find as we know you can see it in all sorts of different examples of people um becoming more like culturally conservative as as they have less control in in the wider part of their lives so so that's the the free that's the sort of freedom theater's motto is creating a space where people can play and connect with their playfulness and their um imagination and be able to express themselves and to be alive and to live and to break that's the sort of first layer of breaking through this power that be and they travel all over the world just being and existing as Palestinians who are alive and who are not just defined by the military occupation um, and the violence that that uh, exists in the region and so yeah in 2015 that opportunity came up and offer pootled mm. um and the building that like the theater building itself is um on the outs on the edge of the janine refugee camp the guest house that you stay in is above the theater so you wake up every day with the kind of the Freedom Theatre family are just around and you have Arabic coffee and I would play with the neighbouring children in the driveway and, um, you know, hang out with whoever was about and plan trips to swimming pools and try and organise the chaos amongst in in this sort of weird and wonderful place. Um, so for me, someone I've never been to, to Palestine and even though I feel like I've learned a lot about the issue from yourself and reading I still fall into traps traps of language traps of um sort of the way that this this situation is referred to and talked Mm. about in western media um can you give us some examples of that dehumanizing language or the the sort of pitfalls that 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 yeah talks about so this was um these are some of the words that kind of came up in uh like on 
the BBC and on the Guardian, and you know, it's it that there's lots of news outlets that were referring to refugee camp as claustrophobic, ghetto-like refugee camp, um, and. It's, everything's so contradictory when you're talking about Palestine because on the one hand, like I said at the beginning, I want to describe it as this beautiful place because it is and I loved it there and had an amazing time. You also don't want to romanticise it and deny the negative sides or the complexities. So the, some, a word like claustrophobic, like, yeah, okay, like the heat can be claustrophobic. It can be very dry. Yes, you've got this like one kilometre square with 13,000 people. But I could walk down Leeds city centre and see busier streets than the ones in in Janine refugee camp. So it's, I, it, it has negative connotations that I just think, that wasn't really like the Janine that I saw. Mm. I didn't feel that claustrophobic there. Mm-hmm. Um, ghetto-like refugee camp. What What are you trying to say? The, the, I think it does dehumanise a group of people. It leads everyone to think, well, they're somehow criminal. For people that aren't aware, this refugee camp was established shortly after 1948 when... Um, the state of Israel was created. So there's people that have been living there for three, four generations. So don't think about tents. Think about um, concrete buildings that have been layered up and up. So as the family expands, um, they build houses so that you just build up a new apartment on top of the current apartment. And they're beautifully kept. Like they're really like like cleanliness is next to godliness in, mm. in Palestinian countries. Google mm. culture so it's very beautiful and beautifully tiled and really nice apartments on the inside um there's also like words around saying conflict as if palestine and israel are two equal football teams that mm. are like play they're conflicting mm. against each other rather than this um, Billion, David and Goliath yeah. kind of situation where one has an awful lot of power and wealth it, and another doesn't. It's a billion, multi-billion dollar war machine yeah. versus people. One who doesn't have yeah. an <laughs> army. Have, like yeah. um, Warfare is another word that gets used again as if there's there's some kind of balance involved mm. in this and um and not an occupying force mm. um the one that always gets me is like Isra- israeli army is described as israeli defense force mm-hmm. ah, just, more, the, just speaks more like the israeli offensive force yeah um the word operation so mm. the violence in the last two weeks was like regularly yes. referred to as the Israeli Defence Force operation has now finished. And to me, the word operation is something that's controlled. It's complex. It's delivered by experts. It Mm. it insinuates precision. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas in actual fact, this this so-called operation resulted in the destruction of innocent people's homes, arrested Mm. hundreds of men. It was innocent people were killed and injured um and i'm saying that word innocent 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 as again i'm 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 having to justify a group mm. of people's humanity in a way that i don't want to have to justify anyone's humanity 
So it's worth saying that the Freedom Theatre building is still standing throughout all this Yeah, th so there is some structural damage and we're going to hear from um, the, the some members of the team. So obviously on this podcast, we like to give platforms to artists so they can speak for themselves and we don't have to worry about the language so much because they can just tell their own story. Um, and so we're going to play some clips from an online meeting that we uh, attended, an emergency meeting hosted by the Freedom Theatre last week. Um, and it was Zoe Lafferty, who's the associate artist at the Freedom Theatre, who's also been on this podcast before. Mm -hmm. um, she hosted it and took great lengths to acknowledge the impact that these attacks can have on the team and the strength it takes to continually talk out and tell their own stories so that we don't always have to go via the interpretation of a certain journalist or editor. This violence also comes two weeks after uh, a 14-year-old girl who was the niece of Adnan, um, who's one of the staff members at the Freedom Theatre, was murdered and shot in the head while she was out playing. And I, yeah, I remember her being naughty and cheeky and coming out and... and causing mischief as all eight-year-old girls should um so I, I we just wanted to highlight that as well because there's there's just layers of trauma um that is always dealt with uh Henry and I have just chosen a few short clips but you, we're going to put the link to the full meeting that we really recommend everyone goes and listens to the full thing um but to kick off, we're going to have uh, Tabassi, who's the current artistic director at the Freedom Theatre, telling us a little bit about what he went through a couple of weeks ago. This invasion, it's really look like and the same invasion in 2002. The difference is uh, today the Israelis uh, has more technology uh, to deal with the invasion. So it was a lot of drones, a lot of uh, big drones, a lot of small drones. Uh, the sky was filled of drones, watching, filming, bombing, shooting uh, everywhere. Uh, so for me, I lived the 2002 invasion. And for me, there is no difference. That was 10 days and it destroyed the camp. And this time it was uh, 48 hours somehow. And they, in a way, destroyed the camp. Uh, to be honest, this invasion was a bit difficult for me. We had this feeling that uh, maybe they will doze us, they will uh, bomb us, they will storm inside. Uh, so it was really difficult time. And when the night come, um, it, it was like really, how I call it, a horror movie that people could not take it anymore. You know, it's a very difficult while you're staying in one room, you hear all of these sounds. And you know, the camp, it's one kilometer square. Any, any rocket or any bomb, the whole camp will be uh, uh, shaking. Uh, so in my family, I had two young daughters for my brother and my old parents, and it was really difficult. No food, no electricity, uh, no internet. You cannot connect anyone. You cannot ask anyone. You don't know what is going on. And just a, a feeling of a fear that you're gonna die while you're waiting, something gonna happen. So in the night, uh, they called our neighbors and they said, we're gonna bomb your house, your house is suspected house. So for them, it was two plans. 
there is already a wanted people, they will destroy their houses if they don't give up and uh, put themselves in the Israeli army hands. And other houses, it was like suspected houses that also the families in these houses got the message. They have to leave the houses because it's going to be bombed or rocketed. So our neighbor had this message. So I, I, my father, my family didn't want to go out. Even in all this situation, they were really like obsessed about we will not leave our houses. We will not do it again. And for my father, I really begged him to leave the house because the next house is going to be bombed. And we are the only... So that was Tabassi telling us a little bit about uh, his experience on uh, a night, the night a couple of weeks ago. And I just wanted to pick up on, on Tabassi's father's reaction to not wanting to leave the house, even though they were in immediate threat. That is a story that you hear over and over again from Palestinians that even when the bulldozers are coming, the soldiers are at the door, particularly the older generation often refuse to leave. Mostly because they know if they leave the house, then then they won't there won't be a house when they get back in. But also it, it just talks of this stoicism and pride and a refusal that become displaced again. So now we're going to move on and hear from Adnan, who's the Freedom Theatre's technical manager. And Zoe in the meeting explained that um, Adnan's house is is a part of, physically a part of the Freedom Theatre. So when you stay in the guest house, Adnan and his family are just upstairs. And Adnan was arrested along with hundreds of other men as part of this so-called operation. Um, And 40% of Palestinian men are arrested at some point in their life. Um, But in Janine, that statistic is is much, much higher. When we are left our house and uh, we're looking for a safe place and we think in that time it's the only one that's next to us, it's the Freedom Theatre. So that I get with the family, with the 25 persons, it's uh, with kids, with old people. And uh, here I thought in that time, this is the safe place because they are never get in it. And suddenly I hear a huge bomb. Uh, then the theater doors, it's open. It's like, and the glasses all over around the buildings, they are destroyed completely and they're broken. And with the 25 inside his kids, and he, we let them to sleep a few seconds, and then suddenly the bomb is up, blowing up. And uh, here I don't know what can I do. I, we was waiting second to second for the next bomb is going to be to the theater. And you know, they are, uh, they are sending a bombs as a burning, not only bombs for killing or shooting or injured. This is what they are doing in the camp in general. And now it's, I says, it's our turn as the people who's in the theater. And here it's, uh, I start shouting because I speak Hebrewwood. I start shouting over the soldiers. It's, there is a kids, there is a young man, uh, old man, and there is a uh, woman. Please don't shoot, please don't shoot. And no one listening and no one hearing, just we hearing shooting and shooting and shooting over the building. So there was structural damage caused to the Freedom Theatre, but also a, a spiritual and psychological damage as the army occupied 
the space and used it as a headquarters. And, and this space is known throughout the camp as a safe space. You know, Adnan and his family thought that this would be physically a safe space, but also because it's a cultural building, thought that it wouldn't be targeted. And it's also known as a place where children come to play and women go to learn photography and write and plays are put on. So... Um, there's also a sort of psychological healing that needs to go on. And the Freedom Theatre team don't miss a beat. <laughs> they have had no time to rest and process before they're up and planning. And they delivered a incredible um, party throughout. They went on a... Tabasi um, describes it as a march. To me, that looking at the videos on social media, it looked more like a carnival. A with parade. A parade, yeah. uh, like something with clowns, with music, with playing, and they just yeah. went and, and um, enjoyed it. And then they're launching into three months worth of intense activities for children and families. So we're just going to hear Tabassi um, telling us a little bit about, about what they did in response to this violence. One of the things that we already thought about and yesterday was uh, a big celebration from different artists from 48, from Jerusalem, from different cities in West Bank. They all came and we made a big march, artistic uh, march inside uh, uh, the camp where we went all over uh, the neighborhoods uh, and the, the places where it had uh, destroyed and we celebrate with children. I promise you the old people, the old people, they enjoyed and celebrate with us much more than children. And I just want to pick up on one thing that Tabassi said there. And at the beginning, he referred to artists coming from 48. And 48 is a colloquial term used for the other side of the wall. Um, so the state of Israel was created in 1948 um, through the Balfour Agreement. And to me, when I was in, in Janine, this casual reference to 48 spoke to something of how, on some level, Palestinians are connected to the root causes of all these problems. And I think that's something that contrasts with um, regular news outlets in um, this country that focuses on the reaction or the response, the immediate thing that's happened and so rarely talks about going back um, to 1948 and, and as is often the case in modern conflicts, it comes back to empire and imperialism and power. Finally, uh, this meeting was attended by people all over the world who were dropping links and information and groups of ways that people can connect and show their solidarity with Palestine. All that information was collected and um, put on a, a website on, in a report that we are going to share. Can you remember what it's called, Henry? Uh, TheRevolutionsPromise.com Yeah, so we'll put that link in and if you want to find out more on how you can demonstrate your solidarity um, with the Freedom Theatre or with Palestine as a whole. There's loads of information there that you can go check it out. Um, and we are an art and activist podcast and the, the Freedom Theatre does not 
use art to be palatable, to be a sort of hippy dippy, let's all sit around, sing kumbaya, we're all the same, we all bleed the same, we all laugh the same. The Freedom Theatre's art is an act of defiance in the face of a brutal occupation. The act of being playful, of being joyful, of being soulful is their resistance. Long live Palestine. every single song you own is a banger. It's time for Nat's Banger of the Hour. Bangers? Is it a banger? Yes, it's a banger! Absolutely. And in uh, solidarity with my friends in Palestine and... Um, I'm going to play a hard-hitting Palestinian song of resistance and culture that's by a really <laughs> rare and unusual artist that you will have never heard of. Have you? I don't know if you've heard uh, of uh, an artist called Shaggy. Shaggy? Shaggy. Does yes. he do ska punk <laughs> music? No, this song, right, is the only reason I'm playing is this is because some of the best nights I had with some friends on a balcony overlooking beautiful twinkly Janine. We played this song over and over again and danced to it. And it's called Habibi I Need Your Love by Shaggy. Yeah, Coming back. If 
I can't believe it's taken us this long to play a Shaggy track. Back to the United Kingdom. Uh, I went to see a show which was a collaboration between Middle Child Theatre and our friends at Milk Presents. Ah. Uh, And uh, this show was called Modest and it was touring around the UK. So Modest is a play about Elizabeth Thompson, who was an artist uh, creating artwork, beautiful artwork, at the end of the 1800s. And she was hung in uh, the uh, London Gallery and given this beautiful space and and told, you, you are an amazing artist, isn't that great? But then the next year they were like, well, hold on, we gave you this beautiful space. Don't expect it every year. What are you? Like, you should be modest. You should know uh... your place. Meanwhile, within the play, um, her sister is encouraging her to get more involved in a growing suffragette movement and to use her fame and her status as a way to... Um, uh, to to bring women into the cause and to to raise up the the stakes of 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 challenging the glass ceiling, mm. she just wants to be an amazing artist and be respected for that. And it's a play about how you use your power and platform and fame, but it's also a play about the glass ceiling and a liberal idea. Like, well, we've given you an opportunity. Come on, like we mm. we gave you a window. Like, what more do you want? Aren't we so good? For giving yeah, you some not space, that power imbalance. Um, but the trappings of the show were very funny, very playful, very cheeky with the audience. It was a fantastic big old musical, but also uh, lots of drag, lots of queer humour, lots of nods and cheekiness, and and within that, like drew the audience in and created this like fun evening of this this party aspect that Middle Child is so known for, and this queering uh, that. Uh, Milk Presents are so glorious at doing. It was a real good old night. I should also say it was written by Ellen Brammer, directed uh, by Paul from Middle Child and our mate Luke from Milk Presents as a lovely co-pro. So I caught up with Libra, one of the actors. Um, Libra talks about their character um, who is um, a working class character that's trying to find their space within within this narrative. Hi, well, I'm Libra TJ, she and they, and I've been playing Bessie and Queen Victoria in Modest, which is a very forward-thinking musical theatre show that touches on drag king cabaret aspects to make to make something very beautiful and wonderful for the communities and for people that aren't a part of the community, I think they would appreciate what we're doing in Modest. It's the most historically accurate Queen Victoria I've ever seen. Can you talk us through the creation of this sassy sleigh queen? Well, I, I tried to like go down the, the road of like looking at what Judy Dench was doing and seeing how we've seen Queen Victoria being played. And I was just thinking... If me, a Jamaican descent person, has been cast as Queen Victoria, they probably don't want it to be as truthful as the books say. So I kind of just took my own spin on it and made her a diva, made her very much big and bold. And I wanted to like still use her like authority and just turn it into sass instead because no one really knows what she was like. So she could have been exactly like how I, how I was, which is sassy, a sleigh queen and absolutely hates women for a woman herself, which is just bizarre because she did not want anyone else but her to kind of have the power. So I think that's why she 
initially shut Elizabeth down because she was just not having any of that at all. So she was like, no, I'm the woman with power here. You need to stay in your lane. So I've used all of that to kind of blend it into Victoria, Beyonce-esque, and just give her a little bit of fierceness that she probably already had, but no one's really seen. So I wanted to do that. Power's like a big part of this story about who gets it, who climbs the ladder, who's allowed to climb the ladder, who even has a ladder in the first place. And your other character, Bessie, is very much at the, well, I was at the very bottom of the ladder, but she's certainly the most lower status, lower class character we meet. Like, what's what story is the play telling? What story are you telling through Bessie? Um, through Bessie, I think I'm telling the story of how even back in the Victorian times, there would have been non-binary folk still existing and it would have been possibly easier or harder for them to exist because they were all in factories and it was just like a hat on and like they could kind of wear whatever they wanted down below and no one really cared as much as long as they were just doing the work and getting the money. So I think the story I'm telling through Bessie is just that no matter how hard it is and if you're at the bottom, there's always going to be someone that will inspire you to do better and to push yourself out of the comfort space you found yourself in. So we see Bessie go through a lot of emotions and wanting to be Elizabeth and wanting to aspire to be Elizabeth until at the very end, Bessie's like, no, I want to be me because that's the only person that's going to ever fight for me is me. And I think that's the story Bessie tells. The music is gorgeous and fun and you can just feel the palpable energy whenever a song breaks out. Um, can you talk about, were you part of choosing the, the songs, the tunes? Was that part of the process or did you come in and they were like, here you go, be fabulous? Um, it was kind of, they had like a basis of what they wanted and we did work quite closely with the musical director, which would have been Rachel. And um, yeah, she kind of worked alongside us to create these masterpieces like I've not sang music this well for my voice ever like she worked so hard to make us comfortable and make us free and a lot of the inspirations come from modern pop uh, people so I think the first song I sing Crushing is very inspired by Janelle Monáe with all like the little pops and and then the last song is very Adele Skyfall so I think they wanted to juxtapose the Victorian era with all these modern influences to just explain and show that whether it happened 200 years ago or now, it's still the same story, just with different communities. And I think the music really hones in on that because it touches our souls as people living in the modern day. Like we're not, we're not wondering, oh, why, why is it so ancient? It's just, it just fits and works so perfectly. The um, there's a lot of funness in it. The show, it's very cheeky. It's like almost musical. It's very nodding and knowing. Um, can you paint as a picture of the rehearsal room and and was it a fun space to be in I'm, I'm assuming so yeah wow the rehearsal process was amazing like we was probably in Hull for six weeks and we basically helped create the show with the writer and the director because before this it was a very binary show with like not a lot of elements of queerness and having a cast full of drag kings and queens and just the entire community, like we've got everyone here. We really helped make the show what it is just through play and devising and seeing what worked and what didn't work. And, you know, six weeks later, we've got this show that looked very different to, you know, the first week of what we initially thought it was gonna be. But yeah, 
a lot of fun. It was it was so juicy. I've, I've never experienced such a fun um, place and people to just bounce off and work with. Like everyone was just so accepting and wanting to try new things. It just really helped create this, which is just out of this world. I think. Just last two questions. One is, um, th- I think the last line, maybe maybe second to last line, but one of the last lines, I think yours is, I've got the matches. That feels such an important note to end on. We have all this fun, and I think what was a real strength was it balanced, like, nodding cheeky fun. The villain is very fun, and yeah. and you laugh with him, but also, like, what a dick. Yeah. Like, why is that really... I guess, just, is there an importance of that final moment of, like, the matches being such a specific phrasing i guess what are you leaving your audience to take away in those last moments for you um i think it's like reclaiming the power and the matches to like burn to burn whatever we're burning i think is probably just to show how we can't stay in the same motion forever and things have to change and the only way things truly change is via destruction and rioting and really getting the point across to the people that don't want to listen so I think by saying uh, you know I've got the matches let's go burn some shit I think it's very the women and the non-binary folk are taking that power back from the men and it's going to be our show because once it's all burnt what do they have left whereas we still have a lot to do and a lot to go so I think uh, the final the final line is probably a very nice ending to such a messy situation and I think it, it shows the, the hope that's still left, that we haven't just given up. We're just ready to, like a phoenix, you know, burn it to the ground and rise from the ashes and really just go full pelt into the world. And, you know, 200 years later, we, we've got somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. My last question is, um, if there is a song that you'd like us to play on this radio show, what song would it be? It could be something inspired by the, the show. It could be something that you've just been enjoying on tour and has just been in the background or something that's inspired you. Any song you'd like us to, to bash out? If I did not say Padam, I think my cast would probably um, kill me. So it's going to have to be Padam by Kylie Minogue, actually, because it's really got us through and made us laugh, made us dance, made us sing all the way through this process. And we just absolutely love it. Padam. <laughs> Be in your head all weekend.
Who'd have thought it would take us to episode 15 to play Kylie? I would have thought it. That's who. (laughs) Oh, what a mix of a show. Rampacked as usual. But turns out if me and Henry bring the sorrow and despair, we can rely on some amazing artists to bring pop music to cheer us all up. What a banger. Pop music. I I prefer songs about the Luddites. I know you do, Henry. Thank you so much for listening, folks. We always appreciate it. Give us a like, give us a share, give us a subscribe. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell the world. Yeah, it really means a lot if you can let us know that you're listening and anything that you'd like to hear on future shows. We love you very much. Uh, Shall we go have a stare at a wall for a bit? Yeah. Bye. Bye. They've caused a lot of unrest in some towns. Protests, riots. We are merely arming the people with the truth. A puppet of the Vatican, such as you, could never understand the true nature of anarchy.